right, well, yeah, I, I think, like, in general, like, it kind of matters, like, what that country is like, right? I mean, at a minimum, you would want to know, like, what country is it? What kind of opportunities are available? And maybe, like, the basic question is, like, how does that country, or how would my life in that country compare to here? Would it be better or worse, right? And I think that if it wasn't better, you wouldn't want to go. Um, I think we, uh, we see kind of, uh, this is kind of uh, uh, the kind of question that God posed to Abraham, or the kind of opportunity that God gave to Abram. Okay, so I want us to turn to, actually I have it on uh, the screen for us here. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Uh, you guys probably are very, very familiar with this, but this is the calling of Abram. So let me read this uh, to you guys. I hope you guys can see it. If not, then um, either you can look it up in your Bibles or, or listen to, to me as I read it out loud. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All right, let's take a a closer look at what God is saying here, okay? So God tells Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Go from your country, Leave, essentially God's saying, leave everything that you know. Go from your country. It's like, leave your land, the land that you're familiar with. Leave the culture that you're so accustomed to. Even things like the weather that you prefer, right? These are all things that I realized, I didn't realize like how much I liked SoCal until I had to leave and move to Canada. Um, I got there in November and it was already getting cold. Um, and it stayed cold until May. It was incredible, like, how cold it is there. It, um, there was snow on the ground for, like, five months, and it, the snow finally started to melt, like, in, um, uh, when was Easter this year? April. It was, like, in, in April. I remember Easter was, like, the first time that I saw the grass um, after the long winter, and then I was like, finally, the spring is coming. And then it snowed again like the next day. It was ridiculous. It's, it's so, uh, even just little things like that that I enjoyed about SoCal. Like, um, you know, if you've traveled kind of to the East Coast, you realize, I, I don't know what you guys kind of, um, uh, you know, if you've been to the East Coast, I've been to the East Coast where it feels like I'm like claustrophobic because like the trees are so thick there that you can't see past like 50 feet if you're driving down the road. And the other thing that's weird is, like, there's no mountains. Like, anywhere that you're, you're in SoCal, you could see the mountains, right? So it, it, that was just kind of like, it was, it was interesting how, like, I just, I even missed, like, the land here in SoCal. So a- God calls Abram to go and leave his country. He says, leave your people, right? And these are, like, the relationships that Abram had, right? His, his friends, his relationships, leave that. And he said, leave your father's household, your family. That's your safety net, right? That's, that's, these are the people that you love, the people that love you, and the people that have your back. God said to Abram, leave all of that. And the craziest part is, he said, you're going to go to a land that I will show you. 
In other words, Abram didn't even know where he was supposed to go. And that was like, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that James kind of brought that up as a criteria. It's like, if, if we were to leave here, SoCal, it would really depend on where we were going, right? And yet, God doesn't tell Abram where he's going. God simply tells him to leave to the land that I will show you. And God gives him a bunch of promises about what's going to happen to his life if he obeys. You know, it seems to me that this is often how God works. God, God often um, kind of asks us or commands us to do things without giving us a lot of details. Um, you know, some of us, we feel like God leads us to make like scary decisions. You know, and maybe it's, it could be about your job. It could be about switching careers. You know, in the past, I felt like God was leading me to quit my job and become a pastor. You know, but he doesn't necessarily tell you what the payoff is. Or you sense that he has you in this season of like where he's refining your character, where he's sanctifying you. You feel it's anxious or it's, it's painful and you feel anxious. You feel depressed. You just want to know, God, when is this season going to end? But he doesn't tell you how long that season will end, last. Or there's some blessing that you're praying for. Maybe it's about getting to school Maybe it's for a job. It could be about, you know, marriage or a spouse. You just want to know, God, how hot is my wife going to be? Or like, God, have I even met this girl yet? You know, but, but God doesn't tell you those things. I found that God often doesn't tell us the details of his plan for us. Maybe if he told us, we could take comfort in those details. But rather than just taking comfort in the details of his plan, I think God wants us to take comfort in the fact that he's God, that he loves us, and that he knows what he's doing. And so God called Abram to leave his country to go to a land that he would show him, and Abram trusted in God and obeyed him. And this this commandment came with a bunch of promises. Okay, So if we read here, part of the promises is showed in verse 2 and 3. He says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And we skip down to verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, God promised to bless Abram as Abram obeyed him. I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. In other words, God's saying, Abram, I've got your back. Abram, I'm going to take what was probably an ordinary life, and I'm going to make you into someone who was great. I don't know about you, but this blessing, it really resonates with me. This, this promise of greatness. Um, you know, how would you feel if God promised this to you? Stephen, I'm going to make you great. I think my observation is that this pursuit of greatness is something that kind of characterizes our generation and our age group, right? We want to do something significant. We want to accomplish something meaningful. We want to do something with our lives and make our mark in some way. You know, some of us, we try to do that through our job, right? Making some sort of impact or attaining to some level of, of um, you know, up the ladder. Or it could be in the ty- kinds of possessions you accumulate, Right? Uh, the kind of car you drive, the kind of house you live in. It could even be through ministry, the number of lives that you're impacting. 
you know, actually, I think a lot of us actually, we try to uh, uh, achieve some level of greatness or some level of significance through the hobbies, through the skills that we pursue. You know, we want to do something. We want to be something. We want some measure of greatness in our lives. And I think that's the reason why so much, so many of us, we work as hard as we work. Um, we want to better ourselves. We want to better ourselves. That's often what motivates us. But we see here that God wanted to bless Abraham for a bigger purpose. God's plan was to bless Abram, and it went hand in hand with his plan to bless others. So Abram was blessed by God, but there was something more than just Abram's blessing that God had in mind. You see, God promised Abram that not only would he be blessed, but that he would be a blessing. That not only would God bless those who blessed, uh, who blessed Abram, but also that all peoples on earth would be blessed through Abram's life. Abram, in other words, was blessed by God in order to be a blessing. God wanted to bless Abram so that Abram could be a blessing to others. You know, I think, um, you know, Korean Americans, Asian Americans, in, in our society, we're known for being relatively successful, right? We have the highest level of per capita income. We have the highest level of educational attainment. We strive, you know, for success. We strive to, uh, to be comfortable. But why? Why do we strive? Most of the time, isn't it to bless ourselves? Isn't it to secure some measure of comfort, some measure of security in our own lives, right? Is this second part of God's promise on our radar to be blessed in order to be a blessing? God's promise was to bless Abram. His goal was to make Abram into a blessing. You know, I would argue that we are super, super blessed. I would argue that we are very, very privileged. Um, you know, uh, I think that it's pretty, uh, it's kind of trendy. Or it, I guess it's, it's uh, you know, there's this thing that we know of called white privilege, right? And basically, what is that? It's, it's this idea that, you know, as minorities in, in a, a predominantly white country, we don't have the same kinds of opportunities. Like, there's structural kind of obstacles um, that, that are in place that, that kind of impede us from having the same kind of privileges and opportunities as m- white people, right? Um, and, you know, I think that for a long time, you know, that was a thing for Asians, right? But more and more we see Asians getting opportunities, for example, in Hollywood or in corporate America. Um, you know, black people, Mexican people, other kind of socially disadvantaged races, right? They, they ha- don't have the same kinds of opportunities as let's say if you were born into uh, a white family, right? And I think that, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's common to resent that. Like, why should certain people have more privilege than others just because they were born into a certain kind of family? But as I've, as I've kind of gone around the world for missions, I've realized something that all of us are super, super privileged in a way that we might not know if we just live our whole lives here. We don't know how privileged we are just for being Americans. Like, 
all of us are have American privilege. You know, I remember uh, one time our church went on uh, missions to the Philippines. And just to give you a sense of like what kind of place this was in the Philippines, I mean, it was super remote. Just to get to this area, we had to fly to Manila. We had to stay overnight in Manila to catch the one plane that went to this island the next morning. And then from that small uh, airport, uh, we had to drive like another four or five, six hours. So the total travel time was like 36 hours just to get to this one place in the Philippines. And uh, uh, we were kind of going around to various villages and various schools. And in the Philippines, all the villages, like, uh, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. All the villages, the center of the village is a basketball court, okay? Uh, they all play basketball. They, they play it, like, when it's raining. Um, they play with these sandals that, <laughs> you know, like these bathroom flip-flops. And they're all a lot better than us. Like, it's so crazy how, how, um, how much, you know, how... Uh, and how much endurance they have anyway so i w- we were in the philippines and then it just so happened to be that that week that we were visiting was kind of like the spirit week of that school and so the the school was having this competition where all the different grades and classes they would do various like performances or competitions and one of the competitions was like this dance contest okay so it was the philippines so they're pretty good at dancing too and when we showed up, the principal, like all the kids were there. There were like hundreds and hundreds of kids in this basketball court. The principal put us on stage and introduced us as like the, uh, the guest judge panel from America, right? And it was literally like they sat us on stage and it was like the X Factor where I was like, I'm, I'm like Simon Cowell or whatever. And like they're performing for us and it's just me and, like, uh, a couple people from OKC that you might know, like Diana Ho and, like, Daniel Ho. And, like, we're, like, the guest, the celebrity panel. And, like, honestly, like, we were so uncomfortable. Like, like we're looking at each other, like, why are we up here? You know, um, we're, like, nobodies, right? But just the fact that we were from America was a really, really big deal to them. And uh, looking back, I wish we had been more, like, um, more gracious because we were like super uncomfortable so we like basically were up there like and we did not want to be up there and i think that discouraged the kids that were dancing because they thought that we weren't like enjoying their performance or something (laughs) but just the fact that we were foreigners like visiting this remote village like they put us in this place of honor i remember attending this church in vietnam one time and a Vietnamese, uh, it was like an international church and a vietnamese uh, local came uh, kind of to the front of the of the church and he started sharing his testimony and he said you know all my life i wanted to go to america right and he said he went there and he realized america is not heaven right which to all of us that sounds so stupid as to be like trite right but but it 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 kind of um revealed to me that this is how people think of of our country this is how people think of our standard of living like we can eat whatever we want right? We can, we all drive cars. We have a house. We have really nice big houses, right? And I realized that even the poorest person, I I don't want to make light of poverty in America because, you know, it it does exist, but even the poorest person in America, globally speaking, is doing okay, right? These are things that we don't realize because we have, these are things we don't realize about the kind of privilege that we live in. In fact, we end up romanticizing what other countries are like. 
you know, I remember when Trump got elected, so many people on social media were like, oh, it's time to move to Canada, you know? Well, I did move to Canada. <laughs> and it's not that great, okay? Like, Canada's awesome, like, in some ways, but honestly, America's a lot better. Um, I, you know, it, in, in Canada, it's hard to find a job. It's, it's not as innovative as America. Things are expensive because they don't have as much manufacturing. Even things like cell phones, it's like your cell phone plan. Like over here, we have unlimited everything. Over there, you still have to choose between two gigs of data and unlimited text messages. Like I'm like, Dude, this, what year are we in? Come on, Canada. We have it really, really good. You know, and I think especially so, as um, a lot of us, most of us are Asian Americans. We have, we're so highly educated. You know, we have the wealthiest, uh, we're, we're the wealthiest in terms of per capita. We're considered to be the model minority. The peoples of the earth wish that could, they could be in our shoes. Even things like retirement, you know, we worry about retirement. You know, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars do we need to save in order to retire comfortably? Um, I remember just being boggled, my mind boggled, when uh, I was in Tijuana one time. And some of you guys who were a part of Alumbra, uh, you, might, you may remember Mirna. She was the, one of the caretakers for the kids. And she was one of the poorer members of the church. And the, uh, the apartment that she was uh, living in, it was you know, pretty run down. Um, she lived there with her four or five kids. And I asked her what her rent was, and it came out to around $75 a month, right? And then her brother, who lived down the street in a, in a pretty, you know, a nicer house, you know, kind of a middle-class Mexican house. Um, and I was like, dude, how much does this place cost? $125 a month. You know, what if I told you right now you could retire in Mexico, okay, and you would not have to worry about paying your rent, you wouldn't have to worry about what kind of food you ate, you wouldn't have to worry about having enough to live. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't, right? Because it's not comfortable enough. Because there's not enough opportunity for you to travel or have like, you know, all these awesome experiences. Whereas somebody like Mirna, right, would jump at that opportunity. Like we're so privileged and we don't realize it. Why is it that we don't feel the, the true sense of privilege that we actually have? Why does it feel like we don't have enough, that we don't have much? Why does it feel like that? It's because our reference point is other super privileged people. All right? We compare ourselves to our age group, our peer group, our other super privileged Asian American you know, Christians, or as privileged as we are, there's always going to be somebody who has even more privilege than us. We almost never compare ourselves to those who are doing less, who are doing worse than us. In fact, we almost always compare our lives to those who have more. And so we always feel this sense of lack. We always have this sense of we could be doing better. I've been around the world enough to have a sense of how privileged I am. I remember, um, so... Um, my wife and I actually did our honeymoon in, in uh, Bali because uh, we were going to go to Taiwan for um, like a reception for her side of the family. And Taiwan is not far from Bali. And so we were, we were um, being driven around in Bali by this uh, taxi driver. Okay? And um, he spoke super good English. I was really surprised. 
He's a very intelligent guy. And I asked him, how did you learn to speak English so well? He said he worked for a cruise, a cruise liner, like Royal Caribbean or something. And I was like, oh, wow, how was that job? And basically he explained to me that, you know, we, we, we think of Bali as this really, really exotic uh, and romantic place. But in Bali, basically the best and brightest people work in the tourism industry. The best and brightest people actually go to college to learn how to cater to Western guests. Um, and so if you're, if you're just kind of whatever, then you end up being like a driver. If you're a little bit better, then you might get hired at a resort to like be, do housekeeping or maybe front desk work. Like the best thing that they can aspire to is to work for a cruise liner where they basically they never stop working. They live on the ship where they work, but at least they get food, right? They're fed. They're, uh, they, they get to kind of see the world and travel. And in a, in a way, it's like that's the dream job for a Balinese person. You know, I remember him saying, they will pay for you to fly home every two years. And that was like for a Balinese person to be able to pay, have enough money to afford an international flight is like inconceivable, right? So the fact that they could travel around the world and get paid to fly home every two years, it's like we can just do that just for fun, you know? I think when we compare ourselves to other privileged people, our friends and our coworkers, inevitably we end up feeling super impoverished. But the reality is that globally speaking, we are so privileged. And I don't think that we should you know, complain about things like white privilege unless we're ready to admit that we are also super, super privileged. We have Asian American privilege. Not only are we privileged in terms of our education levels, in terms of our finances, in terms of the types of opportunities that we have here in the U.S., but we have the gospel. We have a relationship with God. We know that this is not our home. We have a God who blesses us and blesses us and blesses us, not because we deserve it, but simply out of His grace. We have salvation. We have forgiveness. We have the church we have community, and that's something that so many people around the world cannot say. We have been so blessed by God. And we just need to kind of open our eyes. We just need to have a bigger perspective in order to really see how blessed we are. Abram was blessed by God, as we see in this passage, so that God could use him to be a blessing to others. And I believe that in the same way, brothers and sisters, we have been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. I think uh, there's three ways that I kind of want to encourage you guys. How can you bless others through the blessings that you've received? Uh, One of them that comes to mind is kind of obvious, but financially. We've been blessed financially. But we need to recognize that our money is not our own, that we have been, it's been given to us by God. Um, so just, just to be transparent, um, as we go to Vietnam, we're going to be living off of, uh, you know, partial, partially through support, as well as through a salary that we'll be um, drawing from our business as mission company. And so 
It's kind of like a hybrid mission model where we can't be in Vietnam just as missionaries. We have to have some sort of secular identity. And so Christians around the world, as they're thinking about how to gain access to countries that um, are restricted in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, sharing the gospel, a lot of Christians are actually starting up businesses because this gives them um, a, a way to get into the country. A lot of the unreached countries are not only uh, among the most kind of unreached in terms of Christianity, but often also among the, the poorest. And so these countries don't welcome missionaries, but they do welcome businesses. And so business as missions is becoming an increasingly important strategy to reach the unreached around the world. But the fact that I will be living off of support, like, you know, other people are basically going to be giving their hard-earned money so that me and Melody can live and, and have uh, do ministry over there, it's really made me think a lot about stewardship. You know, I, I used to, you know, just throw that word around pretty lightly but honestly, you know, this idea of stewardship, this idea that everything that we've been, that we have has been given to us by God. This money that we earn, right, ultimately it's a grace of God that he's given to us to steward, you know, for his purposes. I think that idea has taken on new meaning for me as literally I will be <laughs> living off of the generosity of other people. It's not my money, Right. They're giving it to me. People are giving money uh, because they believe in, in, in the Great Commission and they believe um, in the ministry that we're going to be doing. And I think I can preach this truth kind of in a new way that our money is not our own. It's been given to us by God to steward for His purposes. You know, but I, I you know, I, 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 I guess I just want to challenge us to think about what that means for our lives and our finances. Um, recently, I had the uh, opportunity to meet somebody. Um, uh, so I was in Atlanta uh, recently. Uh, my my sister actually organized like a fundraising dinner for people at her church on our behalf, and I was super blessed by her. And one of the people that we met was this guy named Tom, and he works for TNT. So TNT, um, he works specifically for the basketball games. Okay, so he's he's one of the producers of TNT's basketball shows. So he's the guy that sits in the truck. That basically says, cut to commercial, cut to this camera, you know, we got to do this endorsement. And, like, you know, he, he, he does really well for himself. He's, like, on a first-name basis with uh, Reggie Miller and Chris Weber and uh, Ernie Johnson and, um, like, really famous guys, right? And he does pretty good, like, in terms of his salary. And as we started sharing about our ministry with him, you know, I asked him if he'd be interested in partnering with us financially. Um, and, you know, for, for most people, I, you know, I, you know, I would imagine that maybe they could give us $50 a month or like if they're doing okay, $100 or, or maybe if they're super generous, you know, if they have means. Like some people have given us up to $250 a month, which is like incredible. He, he just, you know, I had only been talking to him for 30 minutes and he said, so um, I'm thinking about giving you guys $10,000. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, are you serious? He's like, no, I'm not serious. I'm just going to give you $50 a month. No, of course I'm serious. Why would I say that if I wasn't serious, right? He's like, I'm going to give you guys a one-time donation of $10,000 because I believe in what you're doing. And, you know, I, I was just like, wow, that's so incredible. But basically he said he's been blessed. He's been blessed financially. And he wanted to use that, um, you know, basically in, in recognition of the fact that everything he's been given has been given by God. I was just so blown away. I was so blown away by his generosity I was so blown away just that God, you know, God's so faithful in providing. So I think that's one way that, you know, I, I, I want to encourage us to think about 
the fact that everything that we have has been given to us by God. How can we use that? How can we steward our resources so that God's kingdom, God's purposes may be advanced? Another thing that I want us to think about is our careers. Business as mission has been a really exciting thing for me to learn about um, because prior to me becoming a pastor, prior to me going to seminary, you know, I was just, I was working. I had a career. I was a project manager at Southern California Edison. Um, I worked in operations and strategy, and I did market research. And I was so confused when God, you know, when I had, uh, God called me to quit my job and go to seminary. Like, my, uh, you know, I was getting promotions, and like, you know, my, my career was kind of on this upward trajectory, and I knew I was good at my job, and I was so confused. Like, God, why would you call me to give this up? Fast forward six years or five years or whatever it's been, and now I realize that God, um, you know, God wanted to refine my motives. God wanted to refine my character so that I could use my skills in business and tie it together, integrate it with my faith, and my passion for ministry, my call to missions, so I could use it for a greater purpose. And it's been really exciting to learn about business as mission because to me it gives us uh, an opportunity to use the skills that we have the careers that we're cultivating and use that for missions on the field. My boss is an American guy from this small town in Virginia. It's the kind of place where, um, you know, his family's been there for five generations, like since the Civil War. And his whole thing, like, the, it's the kind of place where you, you, you're born there, you live there, you raise your kids there, and then you die there. Um, and he thought that was going to be his whole world. He never thought that he could be a missionary because he doesn't have a pastoral gifting. You know, he doesn't like preaching or public speaking. He's a shy IT guy. He learned about business as mission, you know, and he had this great career, and he thought for the first time, you know what? I can do something like that too. You know, not all of us are gifted to be able to preach. Not all of us are gifted to be, you know, public, uh, you know, kind of public leaders. But all of us, we're, 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 we have some sort of career, some skills that we're developing, right? And I, and I think that's one thing that I really want to, I guess, encourage you guys with is that God can use you to be a blessing in the nations. Um, not all of us are called to be missionaries. But for those of you that have maybe you, you've kind of never thought of yourself as missions material just because you're not like a pastor, um, no, God can use you in amazing ways on the mission field, even through your careers, and finally, you know, we've, we've received this blessing of the gospel, which is too good not to share. And there are people around the world in countries where they don't have Christians who are able to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this is another way that I believe we've been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. I'm super excited for the Exchange Church. One thing that I've always really uh, respected about Joe and kind of felt like a kindred spirit is just his heart for missions. And Heather, I'm so excited that, you know, your plan is to go on, on the mission field next year. And I heard you're going to Thailand, so we won't be too far from each other. So uh, maybe we could um, encourage each other. You know, as for, um, as for me and my ministry in Vietnam, you know, we're going to be doing business as mission, but we're also going to be doing a house church ministry. And so, um, you know, I'd like to invite you to be praying for that. But also, you know, what I've discovered is that being a missionary is it's not easy. You know, as as much as I've had a heart to go, like there's been so many obstacles and roadblocks along the way. And it's just been incredible, like how complicated it is to actually be a missionary. And part of my heart, not only for OKC, but for our, our churches here, Second Nature of the Exchange, 
is that I could be a resource. If any of you guys have, um, you know, uh, have a, uh, any questions about about being a missionary, about how to use your careers to bless the nations uh, through business as missions. My vision is to be a resource so that churches like the exchange could be sending churches. Um, so I'd love to kind of stay connected with you guys. Um, in the ways that I've been blessed, I want to turn around and be a blessing to our churches. So I guess uh, I'll just end with a couple slides. Um, this is me and my wife. We've been married um, since November. Um, she's Taiwanese-Canadian. And uh, Business for Transformation is the particular brand of business as mission that we'll be doing. But basically, Business for Transformation is just uh, uh, biz- doing business as mission amongst the unreached in the 1040 window. And so if you have any kind of interest about that, please talk to me. I'd love to share more about my organization. And just real quick, this is my boss, J- James. He's the one that's from Virginia. Uh, he moved to Vietnam about eight years ago. He's been serving there. And now he has a house church of about 50 people, uh, local Vietnamese people. His name is Luke. He started off as an employee of our company, CDEV. He was doing IT work, and he became a Christian. He decided that he wanted to be trained as a local Vietnamese pastor. And so he quit his job, and now he's being trained to be a pastor. He and James are co-leading the house church. Um, this is a guy named Nathan. Um, he's uh, an employee at CDEV. He's not a Christian yet, um, but we're praying that he would become a Christian. Um, but even his life has been impacted. I'll just share a story. So he has cerebral palsy, and uh, when he graduated from college, he couldn't find a job because of his disability. Um, and so even though he was smart and talented, nobody would give him a job. He interviewed at CDEV, and James felt like God was putting it on his heart to hire him. And now, Jay, uh, now Nathan has be, uh, kind of advanced to the point where he's actually the lead programmer at CDEV. He's doing an amazing job, and his life is being blessed and touched by the gospel. Um, even though he's not a Christian yet, I asked him, uh, Nathan, what do you think it is about CDEV that makes it a different place? Because he had shared with me how, how blessed he feels, how accepted he feels, and how respected he feels. Whereas outside of the company, his whole life, people have just kind of made fun of him um, and mocked him. And, you know, he told me, I think the difference is God. And in a place, in a country in Vietnam where, you know, you're not supposed to share the gospel, uh, my boss, James, is just openly, he prays for his employees. Uh, he can, When he counsels them in his one-on-ones, he tries to bring in God and the gospel whenever he can. And he's making a huge difference. And uh, I'm just really excited to be a, a, a part of that. Just Yeah, last thing I just want to say, we've been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. I hope that my story has encouraged you, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Amen.